This is The Playbook. BYQ Nick is one of my favorites uh, because it allows me to listen for instead of speak to. So uh, I think it's important for all of us to make sure that we're listening for things, not speaking to. But go ahead, bring up the first person. Beautiful. We have Oliver here who has just joined the stage. Oliver, happy Friday. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask David your question. Welcome. Hey there, everyone. Happy Friday. Can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, thank you. Awesome, awesome. So I know that, Dave, you've been in Vegas for the past few days. Uh, just wanted to kind of start off this uh, BYOQ with just the, the basic question, you know, what's your biggest takeaway of the week so far? Wow. You know, every week I'm looking for what resonates with me, uh, Oliver. And the reason is, is because there's so many great lessons that I'm learning uh, during the week. Uh, I'm paying most attention to the ones that resonate with me. And I simply just capture uh, those. And, you know, we've all heard, you know, if I'm uh, the smartest one in the room, I'm in the wrong room. But uh, I heard this week another version of that, which is if... uh, I'm not the smartest one in the room, then I better be asking questions. (laughs) And so many people miss the opportunity uh, in their own humility of uh, getting into the right rooms, but not asking questions. And we see that at our meetups, we see that at uh, our dinners that we do, we see that on the Breakfast of Champions, uh, that we take the time to surround ourselves with a higher frequency, a higher level of awareness, and yet, we don't ask questions. So uh, not only uh, shouldn't you be the smartest one in the room, we should seek tables where people are pulling up chairs for us to sit at, but more important, we should be asking questions. So if you're not the smartest one in the room, then you're in the right room, but make sure if you're not the smartest one in the room, you're asking for help, you're asking questions, you're asking the people that are sitting in the seats that you wanna sit in, how do I get into that seat? Uh, so that's my takeaway of the day, and I appreciate, uh, or sorry, the week, and appreciate the question. Nick, who do we got up next, or where should I go next? Awesome. I say let's take another one here from Clubhouse, and then we will uh, take one from online. Does that sound fair? Yeah, that sounds fair. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, we have uh, Justin here who has uh, just joined the stage. So, Justin, happy Friday. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask David your question. Welcome. Good morning and happy Friday, everyone. I hope everyone's having a good day so far. Uh, Dave, yesterday you were talking to Cliff Averill on Instagram Live, and I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Former Super Bowl champion, he's now, you know, 33 and transitioning to the next phase of his career. But one of the parts the conversation really enjoyed was you guys were talking about in sports, coaches and players all have a common goal. They're all trying to win, and winning, you know, equals their next payday and equals them keeping their jobs. I'm curious, more in the business world, is you know how do leaders um, get everybody on aligned with the same common goal. In sports, it's easy; it's win. And I'm curious. In in business, everybody has different goals. Some people are just in their job just to make money. Some people are building a career. Some people own the business. So I'm curious how a leader can best uh, articulate to get everybody on the same page with them in that common goal. Regard when everybody has different goals at the end of the day. Everybody on a football field actually, you know, has one ultimate goal. And I think that's the important distinction that we need to make comparatively to a business. So, you know, when we're a football team, for example, 
the ultimate goal of everyone is to win the Super Bowl. Beyond that, everybody has their own individual roles, just like a business. And so what you want to do is you want to create a Super Bowl each year for your team, for your business. And you want to have an ultimate goal. For me, in order to do that, I use three different types of training and alignment in the business. One is values. So I want to align the values of the business, gratitude to give us the perspective of how to win that Super Bowl in business, which is truly to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Forgiveness so that people feel comfortable learning and making mistakes and allow others to learn and make mistakes. Accountability, and that would give the company ease. It'll give it a flow. Accountability gives the team, whether it's on the field or off the field, control of its destiny of that Super Bowl, of the ability to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. They do that through three different types of accountability. We hold each other responsible, which if you look, for example, with the New England Patriots, who have uh, the most championships, the reason is, is because it was the most accountable team, not the most talented, not the greatest skills, not the greatest knowledge, but the most accountable because they all took responsibility. And you'll see that in Super Bowl champions each year, that responsibility, they may or may not take the laws of attraction of being aware and we do at our company, what are we attracting and looking at the options, opportunities and touches of favor and what are we supposed to learn from those? And then finally, uh, this idea of knowing these values of gratitude, forgiveness and accountability. What are we doing to participate in this perception? Are we participating in perception that all things, even if they're unplanned, unexpected or disappointing in their perception are we participating in the same perception uh and if not what are we supposed to learn from it accountability allows us to take control by learning from every situation not being punished but protected and promoted by that learning and then finally to look at effective communication of those values gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability, effectively communicating with the entire team, and at least having a source of faith uh, in the business, in theory, in philosophy, in spirituality, or even in religion, a spiritual or religious, theoretical, or philosophical trajectory of faith in the company uh, that we are protected and promoted and not punished, even if we didn't hit our quarterly goals, our year goals, whatever they may be, uh, that Super Bowl, if we don't win the Super Bowl year this year, uh, that we have the faith that we're getting better, progressing, having better behaviors and trusting that will bring better outcomes, even though we can't control time. And so the first step is to align the values. Then it's to align the practices in order to incorporate the value. Then it's the ability to align the execution uh, of those practices in order to facilitate uh, that Super Bowl outcome or better uh, in a theoretical or analogous sense of what we're trying to do as a team. And the better that we reiterate and reaffirm and confirm the values, practices, and execution model, the more successful, the more championships we'll have daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Uh, and they'll allow people to have within the context of one outcome to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. 
it will allow people to pursue their own values, their own objectives during the day, but stay within the context of what activity they're getting paid for. And, you know, reminding people uh, by incentivizing them that the only reason you're truly there, beyond what you may tell the boss or the boss may tell you, uh, is to make a lot of money, to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Maybe your personal objective is to be there three years and leave. Maybe your personal objective is only the money. Uh, but within the context of the team, if all you want to do is make a lot of money or all you want to do is help a lot of people or all you want to do is have a lot of fun, if you're capable of doing only one of those, but somehow it adds to the team effort of getting more exponentially, then it's valuable. And it's the leader's responsibility and accountability in order to identify and incentivize uh, those people that are engaged and available in that effort. And, you know, be brave enough to tell someone if they're not aligned with the team and go ahead and trade them, you know, or release them uh, as they do. I, I love sports and I love the business of sports uh, because it's so relevant to being a leader in business uh, to tell someone, look, if you're a quarterback and you're not performing, I got to go out and get a new quarterback or an offensive lineman. Or if you're getting... Uh, if, if the business is getting past you now in sports, it might be because of your age, but in business, it might just be because of your skills, your knowledge uh, of technology or of relationships, whatever it may be. So very important to have values, daily practices and an execution model and make it very clear how to incentivize people with what they want in order to get to the team's objective. Great question, Justin. Thanks for coming in early. We appreciate you. Thank you. That was a unbelievable answer in a masterclass in itself. So thank you for that. <laughs> you got it. Thank you. Awesome, All right. David. Let's. Oh, sorry about that. I was going to say, let's go ahead and take one from the uh, from online, if that's okay with you. Yeah, there's a lot here. <laughs> so uh, thank yeah, you. Exactly. Uh, I like this one. Why is why is empathy important to you? Um, empathy is the greatest way of healing. Uh, empathy is forgiveness. It's not sympathy, right? Sympathy is, you know, oh my gosh, I walk in a mile in your shoes and I feel bad for you. Well, feeling bad makes no one feel good. And uh, empathy is much deeper. It has a greater understanding. Uh, it has a greater ability to meet people where they're at. And empathy is the power of healing. Uh, it's a power of putting people at ease instead of what? Dis-ease. And so anything physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, that is at dis-ease needs to be healed in order to put it at ease. And the cure to all dis-ease is empathy, forgiveness, being able to forgive yourself, change the mindset, the heart set, the hand set, the energy behind what it is. Uh, you have the ability to heal everything with empathy and putting ourselves at ease and maximizing the amount of time in linear time, man-made constructive time that we're at ease will allow us to accelerate, aggregate, compound towards that Super Bowl, what we want. And so empathy is very important to me 
because it maximizes man-made constructive time with the perspective or gratitude of finding the light, the love, and the lessons and learning from the responsibility attraction and the participation in that perception of gratitude in order to what? Apply my why, be inspired in spirit to remind, remember, and recollect with the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves me more than my mom. It allows me to be protected and promoted and allows me to utilize the enormous, unlimited, all-powerful energy that I'm a part of. Being at ease is the uh, pre, uh, being at ease, I'm sorry, is the result of empathy and the amount of empathy and healing that we have and forgiveness heals all wounds or all disease. That's awesome. All right, Nick, is there someone else that wants to come up live? Absolutely. And real quick, before we bring them up, I'll go ahead and reset the room here. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, David Meltzer's Power Hour in the best room on Clubhouse, the Breakfast with Champions. Today's topic is BYOQ. Bring the questions and David will bring the answers. And as you have your questions for David, feel free to raise your hand or feel free to back channel me um, and we will aim to bring you up. Uh, now, with that said, Dave, I know we have uh, Colleen here who has been patiently waiting. Um, so, Colleen, feel free to unmute yourself and ask David your question. Welcome. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, Dave, my question is about consistency this week. Uh, why do you feel like it's so important to build consistency within your subconscious? And what steps do you take in order to create those habits to do so? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think, you know, consistency is a superpower of mine. Uh, and I think it's a combination of uh, discipline and OCD uh, that has helped me be consistent. Uh, but I believe in a conscious continuum. As you uh, kind of explore how does it impact our subconscious, you first have to understand the conscious and why consistency is so important with our daily activities, our daily practices, the habit machine that creates uh, the subconscious uh, repository or subconscious uh, um, bank of 40,000 of the same thoughts. And let's start at the conscious level. <clears throat> at the conscious level, we input data into our system. And the way that we in <clears throat> puts uh, data into our system is through daily activities because at a conscious level, it's separated by unconscious and subconscious behavior. It's called sleep. And so each conscious day, daily activities that we have are separated, <clears throat> excuse me, by sleep, which is an unconscious and subconscious behavior. So we have to start at the conscious level and say to ourselves, in order to input data into the subconscious, it takes a minimum of 21 days. Therefore, we need to be consistent in practicing whatever behaviors we'd like to input into the middle uh, ground of memory called the subconscious. Uh, and the advantage of putting something into those, the subconscious is it creates a neural pathway. Uh, and if those don't understand the subconscious, I like to think of it as a ski slope. And if you ski down a, a hill in the exact same way for 21 straight days, it creates an automatic path where you can just put your skis on that path and it will take you down the hill. And 
it becomes easier, more efficient, more effective, and statistically successful by creating that path or that neural pathway, that ski, uh, that ski path or, or way that was created by the conscious effort every day of doing the exact same thing and practicing it. And so we do about 10,000 inputs a day, 10,000 uh, different things that go into our cellular memory, which is a daily practice, a daily memory that is interrupted by unconscious and subconscious activity called sleep. So the better we are at our daily inputs in a trajectory of where we think we want to be, the greater our subconscious will work in our favor because the more that we have a thought, an action, a word, a belief, or a feeling consistent every day, the deeper the neural pathway is, the more efficient we are. And that neural pathway then, those 40,000 thoughts that are used every day, instead of just being an input in 21 days, it now, as we repeat doing the same thing, like saying thank you before we go to bed or saying thank you before we go to sleep, it not only enters the subconscious and creates a neural pathway of gratitude, but it starts to activate through an epigenetic layer in our unconscious, our quantum being, our energetic and genetic being to create a hard drive of gratitude. You now will actually have a happy gene. You will now have a grateful gene. You will now have a five iron gene if you hit your five iron every day, whatever it may be. And so the conscious continuum from understanding that the daily consistent practices at the conscious level, whatever we practice, whether it be gratitude or golf or writing or Spanish or calculus or whatever it is that we're practicing, if we do it daily, it will, in a minimum of 21 days, create a pathway, a ski slope, predetermined and pre-executed upon, that will eventually, if continually practice it, will shift our quantum, energetic, and genetic being. And the one thing that's difficult for people to understand is that our addictions, which help us create those uh, consistent behaviors don't change in our hard drive after 21 days. Sometimes it takes 21 lifetimes. So if you have a genetic or energetic inheritance to be addicted to nicotine or alcohol or cocaine or lying, you have to be aware that it may not at the quantum level completely dissolve, dissipate, or disappear in this lifetime. Therefore, the conscious practice of sobriety, of being honest with yourself, of not smoking, of not drinking, of not snorting, of not injecting, of not swallowing pills, whatever it may be, is extremely important, which then reinforces how important it is to be consistent. And that's why values, daily practices, and execution of the progress that we want in a trajectory that we want to be in 
creates the awareness to how important it is to give meaning to yesterday, to 10 years ago, to defining moments, historical relevances, to the shortages, the voids, the obstacles, to the interference that we've created. Because if we can extract through gratitude and forgiveness and be accountable and learn the lessons to find that light, love and lessons in the past aligned with the trajectory we want to be to create consistent behavior that has only one result, progress. Progress that most of the time can never be uh, realized until a longer period of linear time or man-made constructive time. And so we have to have a source of faith to say, hey, this good behavior of saying thank you is going to aggregate, compound, and exponentially create outcomes in my life. I'm just not aware of the outcomes yet, but I should have faith that it's creating progress, acceleration towards where I think I want to be or better because it's creating and assisting and enhancing my conscious continuum, my cellular memory, my subconscious memory, and my quantum memory are also creating progress towards what I want through those values, practices, and execution of those. Uh, very, hopefully it wasn't too deep, uh, but uh, very important uh, in what I believe. It's why I believe my you know consistency is my superpower. I believe I have a habit machine where I've gone beyond trying to do something, but instead working on the machine that allows me to input anything I want to do and create that progress towards what I want to do, say, think, feel, or believe. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. And I'm just uh, seeing a, a little comment here in the chat that someone said they just finished watching the uh, wonderful interview with you on TMZ. So I wanted to give a little shout out. To that was, uh, <laughs> some special fun this week. And if anybody missed it, make sure to uh, go on David's Instagram, just at David Meltzer, um, and you can catch the uh, the full clip on there. But how was that experience for you, David? You know, um, I'll tell you this about TMZ. Uh, you definitely want to be the expert talking about Tom Brady instead of being the Tom Brady with some expert talking about you. Uh, and I'm you know, blessed to be sharing a stage with Tom Brady down in Mexico City uh, in Chicharito. I think Tom Bill you. Uh, but my favorite moment was when they asked me, you know, who's opening for who? You or Tom, you opening for Dave. Dave, you opening. I'm like, I am absolutely anytime Tom Brady wants me to be the opening act, uh, I am there. But the irony of it was is that Chicharito, who's uh, the most, he's the messy of Mexico, of Mexico, all of Mexico. Uh, he is, you know, probably the most well-known uh, athlete. He's like the Pele of Mexico City. And uh, Tom and I both uh, agree that we'll open for Chicharito in Mexico City anytime uh, he wants. And so uh, talking about perception and, and relativity, uh, but those guys have a lot of fun. I was terrified that, you know, I was falling into a, a trap talking about Delta and Tom Brady. And, you know, ironically, I was the one that brought up the diarrhea at Delta and uh, <laughs> they weren't. But I, if you, if you want to catch it, I think it's on my Instagram. It's a really 12, 12 minute, really fun piece. And uh, the lesson I took from it, Nick, was though I'd much rather be me as an expert talking about Delta, Tom Brady, than uh, being Tom Brady or Delta with some uh, a-hole like me talking about them. Uh, but more importantly, it was a lot of fun. Check it out.
I love it. It was one of my uh, favorite interviews as of recent, to say the least. Um, and I know we have uh, Dr. Rold, or excuse me, Dr. Emerald Lynn here, um, who's been patiently waiting and has her hand raised. So welcome. Happy Friday. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask David your question. Welcome. Hi. Can you all hear me? Absolutely. Hi. How are y'all doing? Hi. <laughs> um, sorry, I couldn't be in Vegas. I'm uh, sure it's a great time. Um, so I wanted to, to ask, um, when do you decide to let someone go versus mentor them? I was watching um, a, a TV special. Does that mean it? Or... Um, and for example, with the USA soccer team, um, Natalie Portman, I think it's the Angel City. Um, they, they said they basically weren't going to trade anybody. And because there is a certain mentality in different sports to trade, and then that helps to build community. Nick? But there's... Oh, hopefully you can hear me. Dave, can you hear me? I can hear now. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. For some reason, it blanked out. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, when do you decide to let someone go versus mentor and grow them? And the example is, um, I think, any other pro sports team versus Natalie Portman's Angel City team when they first started, at least. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, in business and in life, I have a great chain of feeding. And so there's a matrix that has two different variables. One is understanding how much someone feeds you or the cause or the trajectory and also determined upon how relative they are to the mission or the cause. So I'll use in a personal example for me, uh, my mother who's 80 years old at this time in her life uh, bleeds me more than she feeds me. Um, but she is so relative in my life that uh, she is still a priority and I would never allow that relationship to fall away. And so determinative upon first understanding how much someone feeds you or bleeds you, but then uh, reconcile it with how relative they are to your mission or to your life or to your values, whatever it may be. And so whether you're an athlete like Aaron Rodgers, uh, who, uh, because of the amount of money they had to pay and his age and the objective of the Green Bay Packers, even though his relativity to the team was at a higher level than most players, it was time to let Aaron Rodgers fall away. And that's why, you know, it wasn't a firing. It was a fall away. Now, if someone bleeds you and they're not relative to you, fire them. And that's in a personal and professional capacity. So if you have a high school friend who talks shit behind your back, even though you're 55 years old and says not nice things about you because he cannot let go of a snapshot of when you were 19 and you stole his girlfriend or whatever else you did, or, you know, maybe you tried to help him and he lives below the line or whatever circumstance it is, fire him, fire him from your life. They're not very relative anymore. Uh, and so I think it's really important for us to raise our awareness to number one, who feeds us and who bleeds us. So we determine how much time we're going to spend with them, but also reconcile it with how relative is this person in my life? Because the more relative they are, the more we'll let them bleed us. 
the less relative they are, we go to a greater degree of falling away or even firing them. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. And thank you, Dr. Um, Emerald, for the great question. And David, we are here at the halfway point. So I'm going to go ahead and quickly reset the room. Um, welcome, everybody. Obviously, this is the uh, Power Hour with David Meltzer in the best room on Clubhouse, The Breakfast with Champions. It's currently 6.30 a.m. Pacific, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Um, and today's topic is BYOQ. So you bring the questions and of course, David will bring the answers. Um, and of course, we just love to continue to pour into this community. So if you have more friends, colleagues, or anybody that you know would benefit from this conversation, make sure to use the, uh, the little box and the arrow in the lower left-hand corner of your screen to share with all your friends. Um, now, David, let's go ahead and take one more person here live, and then we can take um, a question or two from online. Does that work? Yeah. Yeah, that's done. So uh, appreciate everyone. And two, if anyone wants, you know, the values or daily practices or the habit machine, they can reach out and email me, of course, or also join our text communities to get alerted for where we're at. But uh, let's take the next guest. Absolutely. And that email for everybody is david at dmelter.com. Um, and the text community, which is also in the chat, is 949-298-2905. Now we have a limitless SIGA who has been patiently waiting. So oh. thanks so much for your patience and welcome to the room. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask your question. Good morning, David. <laughs> now I have an energy and an aura and a beautiful face connected to that beautiful voice. Uh, just so you know, I got to meet uh, my dear friend in person and get a hug. And my wife and I just adore you inside and out. You're an amazing person. We love you. Oh, I love you, David. And I was so, so, so just appreciative for you and your team inviting me to Santa Barbara and meeting your wife. Oh my God. <laughs> all the stories that you've told, she's probably going to be like, who is that girl? <laughs> I gave her so many hugs. I was like, I feel like I knew you. Um, but you know, earlier you mentioned David about um, being in the room and not asking a question. And ha I have to be vulnerable here because I came to Santa Barbara you know how much I love you. I always ask you questions. And I was appreciative of being in that frequency and in that neighborhood. But as I told you before, I have been following Dr. Dispenza for over 10 years, him and uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton and uh, Greg Braden. But I was like, well, let me just absorb the frequency of the neighborhood, allow grace for others to ask questions. But then before you know it, I didn't have the chance. So what tip would you give when you are in those high-frequency rooms, balancing giving grace and absorbing the environment and the responses, as well as asking the question that you want to ask? Yeah, it was amazing because I think so many people were in your position. Uh, we brought together a higher frequency of people with Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Kian Vu and Chicharito and major who's a frequency you know award-winning platinum record frequency musician and uh not everybody was raising their hand but everyone was there to ask questions of these people and because of the grace uh of the frequency of the commonality between all these beautiful people i think the biggest takeaway for that i had from the event is 
it's just as important for you to ask your question as it is to be graceful because I think at its core, you're confirming it's a value-add world and that the true form of grace is to bring out the greatness that your question is not taking away from somebody else asking a question. Your question is the one that everybody wants to be answered and that your question would have raised the value of the room. And, uh, you know, I tell myself all the time, ask for help. In fact, last night we did uh, a dinner here in Las Vegas and we had the amazing Ryan Pineda and Flex Lewis and Forrest Griffin and Alex Iceman. The list went on. And uh, I brought up the point that, you know, I do these things and I can't tell you how many rooms I walk out of and say, oh my God, I wish I would have asked this, or I wish I would have gotten that person's cell phone number. I wish I would have gone up and just hugged the person and thanked them. Um, And so uh, my lesson and what I encourage everyone to do is to live in a value add world, not a zero sum game and realize how, you know, I I know that I'm around a lot of people that I, that I want to meet. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't want to bother them. You know, they'll be at an event with me or at dinner with me. I don't want to bother them. And, you know, I'm, I'm that person, like I said, that is perfectly famous where they asked me to be on TMZ uh, to comment on Tom Brady. <laughs> I don't want to be Tom Brady where, you know, maybe it is bothersome, but all the times when people approach me hesitantly or graciously and forgivingly, I'm like, I just wanted to come by and acknowledge the information that you share. I want to acknowledge the gratitude of you impacting my life or keep on doing a word of inspiration, what you do. Um, it is such a value add to me. I had experience uh, coming here to Vegas where, you know, I had a very, very active week. I had uh, a a family issue with with one of my my aunts. I had my poor puppy who's five years old uh, throw out two discs in her back. So she's in surgery and I had the rest of my life. And I I was on uh, time uh, with my wife's in my anniversary and her birthday. And I, was uh, foolish enough to squeeze in a speech in Fort Myers and fly for three hours back and forth to Florida. And so by nine o'clock at night, as I flew into Las Vegas, after saying goodbye to my son, who I spend 30 minutes minimum a day with, uh, I was questioning my faith. Am I doing things aligned with the trajectory of where I want to be? And should I turn back around and just go home and not do what I promised to do, to pour into the community with the meetup and at the win and and taking people that I promised to interview to elevate their brands and to do a a speech and to all the things that I'm doing. And, you know, I was dozing off because it was after nine o'clock. Everybody knows I have a nine o'clock unwinding routine. And when I woke up, I had underneath my six ounce ginger ale that they served me was a note on the napkin. And it said, thank you so much. I just wanted to acknowledge you sharing everything you can. It has impacted and changed my life page. And I thought, wow, this person was too embarrassed to come up and and say hi or didn't want to bother me or whatever. But this little note 
changed my entire mindset, my entire energy. All of a sudden, I had faith again. Faith that I was protected and promoted, that I had more energy than I knew what to do with, and that that fear and doubt was only interfering with my potential. And uh, you have that power, Sega. You and everyone in here that hasn't come up forward and asked me anything or hasn't done it at a dinner or haven't come up to acknowledge people. This is a value-add world, not a zero-sum game. You are not bothering anyone. You are gracious by asking questions because everybody wants to hear the answer. The reason it came to you and resonated with you is it is the flow that told you I need you to ask this question of Dr. Joe Dispenza, of Chicharito, of Dr. Kian Vu, of Chad uh, Senjigan, whoever it is. This came to you with a calling, and you are actually interfering with your calling when you're not doing it. And so I would encourage you to think of grace in a different way, in a value-add way, not a zero-sum way, which most of us do, including me. And then we have no regrets, resentments, or guilt uh, from doing so. You are a beautiful soul for even thinking this way. I can't wait to see you in person. My wife, I think, adores you even more than me. And uh, please come and see us anytime. You are a blessing to all, and we appreciate you here on Breakfast of Champions as well. Thank you, David, for that shift, uh, as you always do. And give your wife my love. I can't wait to see you guys again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I encourage everyone else to show up and everyone else to ask questions. And, you know, we would love for you to, to join our text community so we can alert you of every single city, every single person that we're with so that you can share in our neighborhood a frequency. Uh, your frequency is our neighborhood. Answer those callings by asking for help or by asking questions. Nick, this has been an extraordinary morning so far. Why don't we go ahead and reset the room? You tell me. I got tons of questions on all of the different platforms or if people are in line. I always prefer to uh, answer questions for people that are there. Absolutely. And just a reminder to everybody as well, if, I mean, as David's doing so much travel, be in Indianapolis in two weeks, we got New York, San Diego, Mexico City, all coming up in the next few weeks. So if Orlando, anybody, Houston, uh, <laughs> they're all there. Okay. Salt Lake City, and Orange County and LA, there. LA with a junior achievement up at, uh, at so Oh, top golf and then SoFi. So there's a lot going on. Just let us know. Absolutely. And that email is david at dmelzer.com and the text community is in the chat as well. Um, we look like we got about the last 20 minutes here. Um, so as you guys continue to have your questions, uh, feel free to raise your hand or back channel me and we'll aim to bring you up. David, let's go ahead and take one from online and then we'll come back. We have plenty of people live here for you. All right. Perfect. Sounds great for me. Um, all right, question. How do you define value in your life? Are these definitions influenced by external factors, personal experiences, or a combination of both? Um, so I have values of mine, and those values are gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication. Value in my life is a quantitative value that has one common denominator of it, which is time. And so... Uh, time is man-made in its construct. So external factors will be relative to the man-made constructive linear time. Personal experiences, though, 
will create relativity of the infinite time because they create defining moments, shortages, voids, obstacles, successes, failures, historical relevances. And those combination of how uh, the definition of value relative to time influences me concerning external factors and personal experiences is understanding that external factors uh, are only uh, quantitatively analyzed by how much time am I going to spend uh, with attention on those external factors, with intention on those external factors relative to the personal experiences that I'm have. So to give you an example, I utilize five daily practices in order to identify and define external factors and personal experiences. So I will ask myself, what is it I want today personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise, considering the external factors that exist, COVID, the high interest rates, family coming into town, my puppy having surgery, uh, other things that are external. And I ask myself, considering today, here's all the set of external factors. Considering all those things today, what is it I want in the trajectory of what I think I want in the future? Who can help me? Who can I help? And considering these external factors aligned with my values, how can I best get it done by using time as a dependent variable? Because I know today is defined, even at the conscious level of the cellular memory, which I talked about before, which will then in, in encourage and inherit into my subconscious and unconscious someday. But today, how can I best get it done? Considering the activities I planned, the activities I don't have planned, the empty space, the nothing, the non-time, and my sleep, and my non-negotiables in the context of how those are planned and incorporated into my day, even taking into account those external factors today. I don't worry about tomorrow because there'll be a whole nother set of external factors, and then I can go ahead and reevaluate, re-engineer my trajectory, subtly making improvements and progress in the trajectory of where I want to be or better by learning even more lessons from the past, by giving more meaning to my past in alignment with that trajectory concerning and reconcile the external factors and my personal values and defining it by time, by that dependent variable. And if I do so, then I get to confirm the productivity, accessibility, and gratitude that I'm looking for because I can now prioritize what's important to me concerning what I want in consideration of the personal experiences of today and the external factors that exist today. And so instead of worrying and creating interference and not feeling purpose, passion, or profits, I simply am applying my why to get more purpose, more passion, and more profits by identifying what I'm doing to interfere with it and dissolving and disappearing that interference instead of trying to search for what I already have. And so it's really important as we define the influence of external factors, 
in conjunction with the personal experiences in the trajectory where I think I want to be, knowing that time is the dependent variable. The limited amount of time, the time that a particle of light leaves the sun and hits the earth, defines the activities for each day, also defines our progress. And so we need to utilize time as that dependent variable in order to effectuate getting to where we want to be faster, creating greater exponential outcomes, and accelerating and aggregating more of what we want. And so it's you know, a practice of mine. In fact, I'd be happy to send those five daily practices that incorporates and defines the influence of external factors and personal experience in the combination of both. Um, so it's a, a key practice of mine, those daily practices and that mindset, heart set, and handset that incorporates a day. And, you know, according, one, one other quick thing, Nick, I know we got a lot of people waiting. Um, it was, you know, I, I deal with time all the time. It's my love language. And I know it wasn't in the book, Love Language. They didn't put time in there. You know, they put money and they put attention or whatever it is. But my love language is time. And it was so interesting that as I took a step back and I study time every day and I study my time every day, meaning study is defined for me as I pay attention to and give intention to what I think they do believe and feel about time to create more coincidences that I want. It's a mathematical equation of karma or action. It's a mathematical equation of luck. Uh, attention plus intention equals those coincidences. But I took a step back as I was intentionally studying time. And it was amazing because I said, okay, 24 hours a day, determined by the particle of light that I pre-mentioned, 24 hours a day, seven day hours a day, is sleep. So I really have consciously, because I already told you sleep is a subconscious and unconscious behavior uh, to recover and access what we want and be accessible to the source of our faith. So that leaves 17 hours. And then I looked at the non-negotiables of my life, my health, my family, my finance, my time studies. And I said, that's approximately three hours. So if every day I got amazing sleep and got all my non-negotiables taken care of for my family, my finance, and my faith, I basically have 14 hours to do whatever the F I want to do in the trajectory of progress of where I think I want to be or better. 14 hours a day. And people ask me, how are you so productive? How are you so accessible to others? How are you so gracious? I got 14 hours a day beyond what it takes to get to where most people want to be, which is by sleeping right and taking care of my non-negotiables, I have 14 hours a day. And I encourage everyone to take a step back and utilize my love language of time in order to facilitate how many hours a day do you have to do whatever the F you want, to vacation every day, to study what you want every day, to increase your frequency every day, beyond your non-negotiables, beyond your sleep. You have 14 hours, maybe you have 10, maybe you have six to do whatever the F you want. Do you know, that's how I define freedom, to do whatever I want, to have options, opportunities, and touches of favor for 14 hours a day? Are you kidding me? Beyond my sleep, beyond my non-negotiables, and you have the exact same thing. 
And it took me all of these years. I've been studying this stuff for 17 years. I've been alive for 55 years and a half almost, or more than a half. And it took me that long to figure out that I have 14 hours a day to do whatever the F I want to improve my personal values, my experiential values, my giving values, my receiving values, to give and be of service of others and to ask others to give and be of service to me, to be an abundant, infinite, unified system of thought that exists here to improve here, notating that here is no better than there and there is no better than here, that they're all the same. And I got 14 hours a day to do whatever the F I want. I am challenging you today on the BYOQ, the AMA, the Ask Me Anything. I want you to walk away and I want you to think about today how many hours a day beyond my sleep, beyond my non-negotiables do I have to do whatever the F I want. That's what I want you to do. And you will have a grace, a peace, a productive, accessible, and gracious existence, a perspective that will allow you to stay in the flow and to confirm and prioritize all of the options, opportunities, and touches of favor that exist within the amount of time you have each day, the freedom you have each day to do whatever the F you want. All right, Nick, now that you can do whatever the F you want, we got about 10 minutes left or nine minutes left. Why don't we bring up another person? I love it. I love it. And if, as you guys take that challenge, feel free to email David your direct feedback. And if there's anything that he can do to be able to help in terms of the management of time or provide that five daily practices guide, once again, that email is just david at dmeltzer.com. Um, and with this last nine minutes, um, I know we hey, have Nick. a Macy. Yep. Nick, this is Ramon Ray. I didn't know how to raise my hand. Let me know when I can just yeah. chime in for 10 seconds. If chime, in, please, chime in, Ramon. This is your house, baby. Oh, well, no, I respect you. Thank you, Nick and, and Dave. I just want to say, David, I remember when you and I were at VCon with Gary Vaynerchuk, you mentioned about meeting people. Uh, two people who I was nervous about meeting. One was Deepak Chopra. He was there in the green room. You probably were up there. And I was like, do I bow? Do I say, hello, sir? Do I look him in the eye like Deepak? So I just wanted to say that to your point, uh, David, I approached him was like, can I get a video with you? So that's one. And then David Meltzer, it was you. You and I have crossed paths. We know each other online, but you're a big deal, really. So when I think I saw you in the hallway, we, we were eyeing each other, but like I saw you, you know, slightly free time, not free time, but you know, a moment I could jump in. I was like, how do I say hi to this guy? But how you greeted me, David, was like we were best friends. And I think like the leaders do, people have talked about President Clinton, Barack Obama, they're very present in the moment. So I just wanted to add that. Thanks for letting me jump in, Nick, and just wow. to amplify you and to say, I get, I get what you said, David. Thanks, this is Ramon. Ramon, I just have to tell you that anyone uh, that would even mention me in the same frequency of Deepak, who is a friend of mine, President Clinton, President Obama, uh, you know, thank you. That, that, uh, your perception, uh, means a lot. And, uh, I, I will tell you that whether it's Gary, um, and Tom and Jim Quick and, uh, you know, Austin Eckler, Michael Chandler, Alec Ingold, all the guys, uh, that I've been around and, and, you know, I'm blessed to sit on the transformational leadership council, uh, with, uh, Deepak and Jack Canfield and Bob Proctor, who has passed. And I had that same feeling Ramon when I was young. I remember the first time I got invited to Deepak's apartment and he had all these other famous people from the news and, and oh, I mean, I almost didn't go in. And then I remembered, you know, my mission in life is to ask for a seat at the table and to give a seat at the table. And your mission is the same, Ramon. You've taken over this community, this clubhouse. And I remember when Glenn Lundy 
who I'm blessed to mentor, and he's a dear friend, as you know, for me. He said, Dave, I, I want to give people a seat at the table. Can you help me bring in the people that can help give those seats? And I want them to pull up a chair next to them to bring other people up to their seat. And uh, I want to acknowledge you uh, that I'm going to mention you as the same type of frequency that you should have no reservation coming up to. Certainly a David Meltzer, Deepak Chopra, Obama or Clinton or whoever else you feel resonates with you because this is the breakfast of champions. And we got to pull up the seats for other people and ask them to pull up a seat next to them for us. This is a community of people, very simply, from the highest levels. This is a community of people that are here to help each other and to know people that can help each other. And I encourage you to invite your friends in. I encourage you to ask for help. And of course, we all are here to provide it as well. Ramon, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Nick, is there someone waiting for the last five minutes? Absolutely. We have a Macy who's been patiently waiting. So Macy, happy Friday. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask David a question. Welcome. Good morning, Dave. Happy Friday. My question is, what is the best way to change old habits that are interfering with your potential? Macy, how old are you? 21. Oh, she can't talk. She sounds so young. She said, uh, um, she said 21, Dave. Oh, 21. <laughs> the fact that you're here at 21, congratulations. Um, so I'm in the practice of identifying fear. Um, and so fear is what interferes with our potential. And I'm in the practice, and I've, I'm afraid every day. And I know that human nature has a response to fear. And it's been studied and it's been taught and it's been, you know, therapied. Uh, so the human nature responds to fear with the ego. To what? To protect us, to promote us. Isn't that interesting? Because the entire source of my faith, Macy, is to be protected and promoted, to believe I live in a value-add world, to believe that I'm omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. What am I doing to interfere with it? With a source of faith that there is a unified, abundant, infinite system of thought that I belong to. And the practice of identifying fear and the understanding that we're protected and promoted by the ego led me to a path to understand I better start practicing identifying fear, notating that when I identify it, that I am prepared for my ego to protect and promote me with the need to be blank, the need to be separate, the need to be inferior, the need to be superior, the need to be offended or right or angry or anxious or frustrated or guilty or resentful. I know that my ego was developed within the context of human nature in order to protect and promote me because of my faith, because of the omniscient all-knowing. But it is there to give us time to reevaluate and re-engineer that fear by stopping, not resisting, by not going over, under, and through the ego not lying to it, manipulating it, cheating it, or denying it, but simply supplying it with the inspiration that we are part and parcel of by stopping when we identify fear and preparing for the ego to protect and promote us and then 
breathing back to reminding and remembering and recollecting to our source of faith that we're more than enough of everything for everyone. And then instead of rolling in the wrong trajectory, instead of aggregating, accelerating, and creating exponentiality of outcomes that we don't want, we roll in the right trajectory. We roll in gratitude to find the light, the love, and the lessons. We roll in forgiveness for being afraid. We roll in accountability to find those lessons through responsibility, attraction, and a participation in a perception of everything for everyone to regain, remember, remind, and recollect our in-spirit, our inspiration, to be our higher self, our potential. For me, it is essential to be in the practice of identifying fear and preparing for the ego to protect and promote us and to stop the resistance, to stop the lying, cheating, manipulating, denying of the ego. Instead, it is a indicator, it is a uh, indicator through the pain, setbacks, failures, mistakes, successes, defining moments, historical relevance, indicator, the ego's an indicator that we are protected and promoted. It's a reminder, go back to ease. Don't create more dis-ease. Don't create more fear. Go back to ease. I have given you the light. I have given you the lessons. I have given you the love. Stop interfering with it. Allow yourself through the ferocity and the ferocious activity during the day in a trajectory where you want to be by giving meaning when you identify or are indicated a fear and prepare for the protection and promotion of the ego in order to facilitate a acceleration an aggregation and a compounding of outcomes that you want not that you don't want or not that you're missing or not that you don't have practice identifying fear. And if you're 21 in this room, please everyone pull up a seat for Macy because she is going to create a legacy for all of us. Our future is bright if there's 21 year olds in here. Our bench is deep to have a 21 in here asking questions like that. We are graced by your presence. It's 7 a.m. Pacific time. That's my calling. And uh, Nick, if you can do me the favor, let everyone know where they can reach out to us and close out the room. May all be blessed, be more interested than interesting. Please join us around the country. We're in so many different cities, so many different places. But most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you next week.